Hi, this is KCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. The opinions expressed on the show are not necessarily those of the regents of the University of California, nor the management of KUCI. This is Dan Sang with Subversity coming up. Today we're going to have a guest here talking about a Vietnamese-American film. Um, she's a Vietnamese-American woman director who has uh, touched a, a touchy uh, topic, actually, uh, exposing her family to public view and um, exposing dark secrets from her family and um, going back to Vietnam in the hopes of reconciling the family. And we'll talk to her about what happened. And her film is O oh Saigon. And with us is Don um, Huang, uh, who's a young director, and she's showing ha- has been showing her film at the Vietnamese International Film Festival at UC Irvine this past week. Uh, welcome, Don. Thank you for having me. Yeah, um, this uh, this uh, show was quite impressive. Your, your, I mean, your film was quite impressive because it. It deals with topics that usually uh, filmmakers don't touch. And do you feel satisfied that you made this film? Um, yes, I, I do. Um, I was thinking, as someone once said to me that, um, you know, a, a director like Steven Spielberg over time started to make his films more personal. Like he started sort of far away from himself and the older he got. He, uh, you know, the film started becoming more about his back, his his um, his family background, and uh, he started covering subjects, um, you know, about the Holocaust and things like that that were close to his family. And um, but I sort of am more of the reverse and started off more closely about my family because I think as um, being airlifted out of Saigon at the end of the war. Um, as um as a three year old and leaving my older sister behind and being just very quickly put into another culture and that sort of trauma that I, I don't think I ever really forgot and it really formed my identity early on of feeling like an outsider and wanting to I guess find out what happened for for me because I heard one side of uh, the Vietnam War from. Uh, school where you know they told us dates and uh, things about Kennedy, but and um, about sort of the American view of it and seeing Vietnam War films. And at home, I heard a different story between um, uh, with my parents and and they seemed like two diff- totally different stories. And for me, I think making O Saigon was a, a reconciliation of of um, both both stories for me, the historical, um, my American side and my Vietnamese side. So returning to Vietnam um, and, you know, seeing this place that my family feared for so long of returning to and that I had horrible images of mm-hmm. with the war at the end of in, end of the war, I, you know, it was a, it was kind of a frightening experience to confront and, and to find through all of that, this beautiful country where I still had lots of family. I have an entire Cape that has the same last name as me. Um, entire, entire what? Cape. Um, Cape. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, it's a, 
right near Fang Tiek. Everybody yeah. on the Cape is has the same last name Huang as me. So wherever I go, yeah. every store, every shop, every hotel is called Huang something. Yeah. And so, um, but to just find all this love in my family and. Um, I had these uncles that I didn't know about before I came back to Vietnam because my father, I think he acted like they were, had died. So I just assumed all his brothers were dead. And um, he, uh, you know, never mentioned these uncles to me. So when I was taken to meet my oldest uncle, I had no idea that he was a communist and fought in the war against my father. <laughs> and, um, and, and I really put my foot in my mouth when I met him because... Um, I was very slow to detect the fact that there was a reason that he had a wife with a very northern Vietnamese accent. And um, uh, I just said, what was it like living with a communist? You know, and he said, I am a communist. And I, I was like, oh, OK, well, right. Let's move on. <laughs> but, so that was a surprise. Yeah. Yes. Um, I'll, I'll, uh, we'll get back to um, our guest here. Uh, but I just wanted to update uh, folks that um, in this uh, last half of the program or last part of the program we'll be talking with uh, student activists from the Revo- uh, the Radical Student Union who are planning some activities this week in connection with uh, Vicente Fox's visit, uh, the former Mexican uh, president. And uh, we actually are dedicating the show to the victims of the Binghamton uh, massacre, uh, including a former librarian, Leila Khalil, who is a Muslim from Iraq. And she uh, leaves her husband, who teaches at SUNY Binghamton, a son who's at the Sorbonne, a daughter who was a Fulbright fellow at uh, Binghamton and um, lives there now, and another son who's in high school. And her funeral with another victim from Pakistan is uh, on the front page, um, uh, is portrayed on the front page of the New York Times today, a Muslim funeral for two of the victims of this uh, apparent uh, Vietnamese uh, Chinese uh, uh, gunmen, apparently, who uh, went berserk and killed uh, 13 people and then committed suicide. Um, so we, uh, this is a week of tragedy. Uh, there's an earthquake in Italy right now, and uh, so it's sad. And you tried in the film to... Uh, reconcile pain and suffering and get uh, beyond that and try to bring the family together. But you also, there was another dark secret. Your mother, your family had left uh, a sist- uh, sisters of yours behind in April uh, 75. And was she just not told about the evacuation or that, that you were going to, uh, your family was going to escape or what happened? I don't think anybody knew um, in Saigon. Uh, maybe some officials did, or uh, but they were evacuating Saigon very slowly because uh, Graham Martin, the um, the yeah. U.S. ambassador, was trying not to quote cause a panic, mm. and so they were evacuating people. Uh, you know, they were taking helicopters and planes back, quarter empty. I mean, qu- quarter full, half full. And um, people to the, didn't to these uh, aircraft carriers in the, in the, in the yes, they were uh, um, um, I guess flying people out very slowly, so they weren't telling people like basically the war's over, and uh, you have to get out so um, so on on April 29th, 1975, which you know the uh, anniversary will be coming up soon, um, 
my parents said that, and uh, my family told uh, told me about, um, you know, we lived at Dunsinyuk Airport because my father was a major in the Air Force. Oh, you lived right at the airport. Yeah, yeah we lived at the airport, and um, um, they were we were bombed at, shelled at. There were shells like in our backyard, so we had to leave very suddenly in fear of you know being killed. And my parents went to stay with um, with uh, extended family. And uh, they were staying with one sort of sister-in-law sort of person, and um, she only had one room, one bed. And so my older sister was with um, an aunt and an uncle who were her age. They, they were mm. about 15, 16 at the time. And so they were with my, my grandmother, my father's mother at the time. And so they were at different locations and they met up uh and my my sister came and my mother was eating at the time and i guess the woman was very afraid that the communists were going to come in and um and she was basically you know harboring my father there and she was afraid of what would happen to her mm. so my parents were kicked out and they i guess in the panic of being kicked out not knowing where to go they forgot about my sister and um, you know, the, her, my dad's younger sister as well, and who lives here and also in, in, uh, Southern Cal. And, um, so it was, you know, they, my sister had gone back to the airport to get some of our things and my parents were going back to the airport, but couldn't find her. And mm-hmm. so they were sort of driving around in circles. And, uh, I guess my father had an aha moment where he saw someone, uh, climb over a fence and get onto a helicopter and he just said he just followed he just you know had this strong voice in his head like get there and and get out and i don't think they at at, at the last moment my mother says that um she stopped and uh said wait where's my daughter and uh she said i'll i'll stay behind and wait for her and my father said if you stay we're all staying Mm. And my mother had to, in that moment had to make a choice like do I do I leave and mm. take out, you know, four members of my family or do I stay for one member and risk all of us being harmed? And so she she had a very hard choice to make and I don't think she's ever ever gotten over having to make that choice. She feels guilty. Yeah, I don't think you could ever really forgive yourself. Mm, sure. It's a tough, really a tough decision. Um, in the end, though, uh, she actually uh, got out of Vietnam, your sister, and she came to live with with your family. Uh, but it was very tense. Yeah, I mean, she had gone through such horrible things when she left. Um, and um, you know, I was surprised that in Vietnam they don't really know about the boat people. Um because when I was showing film, my film to some family members, they had no idea of the trauma that a lot of Vietnamese went through leaving Vietnam. And it's something that, um, you know, that the government, of course, didn't advertise that people were trying to leave. Um, but my my sister got on a, a boat with a, a number of family friends and um, were lost at sea in Thailand and... Uh, then they were attacked by pirates, and they um, ended up robbing and slaughtering most mm. of the people on on the boat. And my older sister um, was kidnapped with mm. um, uh, for um, I don't know exactly how long, probably about a week or so. But she uh, 
then was afterwards dumped on an island to fend for herself um, at where there was no food or shelter and was eventually found a few weeks later by the Coast Guard barely being alive. And so I think also for that, you know, and she um, later became a, a pop singer uh, in, mm. in Orange County. Uh, she did Vietnamese pop music and on Sunday evenings at around six, you can still hear her songs. Yeah. Um, we Last night we, we heard her on the radio and... Uh, so she had a, you know, when she came to Kentucky, it was after going through all of that, she, I think it was difficult for her to, um, you know, try and live a normal life, like sit, to sit with my mother who's telling her, can you go mop the floor after all she had gone through? It was sort of like I came all this way and went through all of this for this, to be in Kentucky where there's no Vietnamese people and <laughs> slightly miserable. And uh, she, she mm. got out and she came back to California so, which was her first, I guess, port of call into the United States, and she's been here pretty much ever since, and she loves it here. And um, how old was she when she uh, in 1975? She was 15 uh-huh. in 1975. So yeah. when she made it to the, in the United States, she was um, she was 21. Oh, um, yeah. um, so six years later, so it was a long time to be separated. But um, this is, I think, a very common story in. Um, families with war where, you know, people do get divided because of circumstance. And it's, um, and our family story is just one of many stories of, of many Vietnamese families or many families all over yes. the world. She's a divided. stepsister, right? So your father didn't want to mention it. She's my half-sister. Half-sister. But, yes, I mean, not but step, his, yeah. his stepdaughter. Stepdaughter, yeah. Um, and I guess culturally at the time, and, and probably still now, mm. you know, there's funny issues around... Um, stepchildren um, for, you know, traditional cultures, I guess. Yeah, she said, your dad says in the film that she, uh, he probably shouldn't have married somebody with child. Yeah, with that, my mom child. wasn't happy about that. <laughs> 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 but it's funny because she, he'd never said anything to her while they were dating or married or anything. She had never heard him say that until... He knew, right, he knew she had a yes, daughter. Yes, he, yeah, he'd met my sister and everything, but yeah. he'd never said, that's the reason why I'm reluctant to marry you. And she sees it in the movie theater. Um, oh, she didn't know? No, oh. no. I think she saw it for the first time at the L.A. Asian Film uh, Asian Last Pacific. Year, yeah. Uh, film festival where we won the grand jury prize and um she uh she had no idea so it was very tense after that screening um last year in los angeles like where (laughs) you know uh my my mother just felt slapped in the face by my sister and my father and you know the audience wanted to talk to them afterwards and it was just like it it was you could cut it with a knife it was so tense afterwards (laughs) this weekend you did talk uh, they did talk a little bit um, did, did they feel comfortable over that? Um, I, I imagine like when you're not used to public speaking, it's probably just a bit nerve wracking, but my older yeah. sister is pretty used to it from singing and, uh, um, oh, yeah, yeah. but, um, you know, it, it, she, it makes her really uncomfortable to see the film and that's hard for me yeah. because I did it to help and I didn't want to make her uncomfortable, yeah. but I wanted things to be better between her and my mother. Yeah. But I realized this, you know, the wounds of war, how can you really heal something like that? I mean, it's, how, how does anyone ever yeah. get over going through yeah. what these people Because it keeps bringing it up, right? Every time you see the film, you, you, you recall things, I'm sure. Yes, um, and, you know, and, and just how in the film you see things 
repeating themselves. Yeah. Like uh, my older sister uh, always making us wait for her. And, yeah. and, and, you know, like when she's going shopping, for example, uh-huh. she gets lost at the movie theater from us. And, <laughs> <laughs> and it, it, I think it is a psychological need to make us wait and yeah. make us stay. And I have this psychological need, I think, to stay. So I can never, I, I have the worst time getting anywhere on time because I always feel like I've got to be leaving something so important. And it's as if I, I've never gotten over leaving her behind oh, yeah, and, yeah. you know, and our uh, other family. And um, so, you know, we all kind of, I think, uh, and I didn't realize it at all until I think about a year ago that I did this. And this is what, you oh. know, I, I would, I go to the beach and leave my bathing suit and then have to go back. Oh. You know, the, it's, yeah. it's, uh, it's, it's funny how we all live with things in small ways. Yeah. In habits. Our, yeah. In our everyday life. Yeah. She even talked to me last night in Vietnamese, your sister. Did you the, understand her? Starbucks. No, my Vietnamese is not as good as it should be. <laughs> <laughs> did you inform her? I can read her? better. I can read better. I, I did say something about who I was. Yeah, I said, but, uh, Actually, I'm Chinese-American. But so, um, that's funny. I mean, she yeah. speaks perfect English. So. <laughs> <laughs> but everybody was in the... It was at Starbucks at UCI <laughs> last night. <laughs> last Yesterday afternoon, yeah. How about your... Is it your nephew? Was yes. He, did, what does he... I mean... A little kid, how does he react to the film? He's mostly embarrassed uh, by scenes of him oversleeping and getting his mother in trouble, like and when, we're, when she's making us wait another time. Uh, he's oh, very yeah. embarrassed about that. But he, he loves coming, and he loves the attention, and he loves signing autographs. Um, but I, I wonder how it'll affect him later in life, um, you know, just knowing what he knows about his yeah. mother. And, you know, when we were watching the scene of... Um, you know where it, where it where you see all the boat people and uh, mm. this is, my sister's story is told by my mother in the movie. My uh, my older sister and I kept trying to distract Dylan as if you know to not make him see it or something. We were sort of like playing with him and tickling yeah. him, and um, it's 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 uncomfortable. I mean, and I think he's very protective of her, sure. and um, you know she's divorced now, and you know uh, he's a child of a single mother and i think it happens a lot where the kid he's got a lot of responsibility on his shoulders how old is he now he's 10 oh 10 now so it's been i guess 10 years since i filmed them originally in 1999 coming Mm -hmm, here mm -hmm. to see her for the first time in years and why did you end up in um, Kentucky? <laughs> well, we were placed there. Um, the U.S. government had a program mm. where they uh, were using a bunch of different agencies to just basically uh. get rid of people out of the refugee camps as soon as they could. And they had sponsors um, to sort of adopt families, like not really adopt, but like to sponsor them and help them, you know, integrate into American life. And we were being the last people, the last refugee camp that was started was um, was Fort Smith, Arkansas. In, um, in, um, and so from there, we were sponsored by a Catholic church in Kentucky, and that's where we ended up in Kentucky. And they, uh, they wanted us to change our religion from Buddhist to Catholic, but that didn't happen. <laughs> wow, they wanted, oh, because they were the church sponsor. 
Yeah, so we were made to go to church um, every Sunday for a while, and I remember being really scared going to the church lady's house and seeing, like, bloody feet of, oh, you know, they, yeah. dripping in Mary's eyes and this this poor dead guy who just was put on display. <laughs> <laughs> I, I felt very sorry for Christ and, uh, and uh, was, um, um, I think, quite shaken by uh, the, the imagery and... I remember uh, they were handing out those wafers, you know, the body of Christ um, on Sunday. And I remember thinking it was something good to eat, you know, because I was, you know, three or so. And my mother says, you're not going to eat that. (laughs) (laughs) Because then it would show you're committed to it. (laughs) um, In the film, you actually show your father as this really lonely guy who has no friends, actually, it's said in the movie. It's pretty accurate. <laughs> I mean, was there another Vietnamese family there that he got close to at all? No. We did know one other Vietnamese family, um, but they lived, they were much more wealthy than mm. we were because oh. we weren't prepared to leave and we sure. lost everything. Yeah. And, um, you know, my dad started off pumping gas mm. um, at a air, uh, small airport and cleaning the planes when he had been a major in the Air Force. Yeah. And um, Dr. Min, who we knew, um, had transferred earlier, and I guess uh, he, uh, you know, he became a veterinarian from being a doctor, which wasn't as much of a leap. And mm-hmm. uh, they lived in a nicer neighborhood further away, mm-hmm. and I think it was, you know, they were busy with their lives, and we did see the Mins, and later on, now Kentucky, Louisville has, I think, about 3,000 Vietnamese now, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. is a lot for that town. Yeah. Um you know, it has Vietnamese restaurants and things. But back when I was growing up, there was really hardly even even any Asian or Latin families. Your uh, mother made more friends, right? My mother is just, yeah, a warmer, kind of friendlier yeah. person, despite how she appears in the film. I mean, she was kind of really put on the spot in the film. And I, I feel a bit bad about that. I try to show parts of her that were more sweet and gentle. Too. You did show her in the shop uh, helping a customer, and she was very nice. Yeah. Yeah. She's a she's a really lovely person, and you know she's a strong woman. And I think about you know what it takes to make your family survive through something like a war. Yeah. And uh, I think um, sometimes like strength in a woman is seen as something that's not positive. But I would say while my dad was very depressed after the war, I mean he lost his job, his country, his reason for living really. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, to, for him, because he was the provider, he was, yeah, yeah. you know... Um, it's the, a reversal of roles. You come here and then, yeah, you don't, you're not providing for the com- uh, family. Yeah, yeah, I mean, he did provide, but he just didn't feel like he, could, he did it anywhere near as well as he yeah, could and yeah. or used to. And so my mother went into, you know, turbo mode and, mm, you know, sure. she was a very controlling mother, but she really, we were <laughs> well kept and clean and fed and... Um, and my father just, he was pretty depressed. I mean, yeah, he just sure. hardly moved at all. I mean, he was in his bedroom and locked the door and, you know, we just never saw him. I mean, he lived with us, but we, it was, and he's, he's gotten better since the film's been made. And so that, you know, the, there's no price I could put on that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How did, um, your mother, um, uh, feel about going back? Uh, you, did she go back first, uh, uh another time before? The one you filmed? Or? Yes. Yes, she did. She came back in 1991, I believe, um, when Clinton had just lifted the embargo. Oh. And she just raced back there. And um, she found herself without... She didn't get a, bother to get a visa. And uh, <laughs> she she ended up um, um, getting, um, getting 
put in a hotel and not being allowed out of the hotel for a number of days. Well, they checked who she was. Yeah, I guess until her visa was processed. So, so she was very angry, and she got to see her mother for you know two days um, after spending all that money to fly out there. But that's the way my mom does things. You know, she's it's like do it now and think later. <laughs> In pause. Yeah. Uh, so what? Um, how about your dad? Why did he? finally want to go back because he 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 was quoted in the film right saying he didn't want to go when Vietnam is still communist it was I mean it took him five years and that you know people I guess have asked me why it takes so long to make my film and part of it was funding <laughs> sure. and part of it yeah. was my father just didn't want to go and yeah. well oddly this isn't mentioned in the film but one thing that happened was um I had this producer who um, who became the executive producer, John Batsick, who won an Oscar and an Emmy, and he worked closely with the BBC. And um, he said to me, uh, you know, he's like, in order to finish this film, like, and he's British, like, Dawn, what are the chances of your father going back for a final reunion with his brother at the end of the film? And I just thought, nil, there's no chance he's going back. <laughs> and he's like, well, tell him I've won an Oscar and an Emmy, and I want him to come back. And I just thought, <laughs> oh, God, uh, okay, well. Um, so I said, okay, Dad, so, you know, John Batsick wants you to go back, and, you know, he's that guy who won the Oscar. And my dad's like, well, I'll think about it. I was like, you'll think about it? Just because he won an Oscar? <laughs> I was thinking, like, gosh, I hope one of these days I can win one so I can tell Dad, you know, what to do, <laughs> like branding it around the house. See this guy? <laughs> so it convinced him. <laughs> so how long after that did he decide to go back? He, um, we, it, I think it was just a few months after oh, that wow. that we went. And so, mm. um, and I think he was aware that his, his timing, I mean, he, he only got to see his brother two more times before he died. And his uh, health was bad, right? The, your, yeah. Your uncle's health. He had cancer, and he didn't tell us. He had stomach cancer. Mm. And, um, you know, he uh, he knew, but he, he didn't tell us. I don't think he told anyone. I think his wife knew and my aunt. And uh, that was... Um, so I got to see him one last time. I came back uh, to film another movie uh, uh, the following year uh, after Osaigon was finished. And... I, I never ended up finishing this film, but um, at least I got to see my uncle for one last time. And How old was he then? Uh. He was uh, 70. Uh. You know, he'd lived a good long life, I guess, in that way, but he, uh, you know, was separated from right. his own family for 30, uh, from his mother for 30 years. I mean, he, in 1945, he joined the revolution against the French. The Viet Minh. Yes, yeah. and uh, he uh, ended up getting pushed all the way to Hanoi, and that's how he became a communist, um, what because he, he was do? a nationalist. Was he um, fighting the French there? Yes, he was only 14 years old, and um, hmm. so he joined the, the uh, we had, a, an, I guess, an uncle by marriage who was a great supporter of Ho Chi Minh, and there was a lot of crisscross in the family, like, one one grandfather was very anti-French, pro-communist, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. my other grandfather was um, more of a businessman and kind of didn't mind as long as he made money, you know, <laughs> uh, of uh, who side he was on. So um, that also got him in trouble. So both of my grandfathers got in trouble for opposite reasons. Oh, right, right, right. <laughs> one yeah. for being anti-something and the other for being not caring. <laughs> <laughs> did he tell you uh, in the interviews that, uh, that you did off-screen, say, did he tell you about what he actually did in the in the war? 
Um, yes, yes. Yeah. He uh, I, I was a foot soldier at first, mm. and um, he fought in Dimbinfu mm. uh, against the French. And I guess after a while, they were living in a camp outside of Hanoi, and uh, like it was a secret location kind of camp. And uh, and that's where he spent most of the rest of his life. It's where he until the you know the war was over when he came back south. But he met his wife there. Um, it, it was, you know, like an army ba- a camp base. Mm. And, um, was his he, wife fighting also? She, um, she, uh, was a nurse. Oh. And so he switched into, um, printing and into, um, into, um, being an anesthesiologist later, like later, later when he was older. Print, you mean, what do you mean? Print? He propaganda? Did, yeah, he printed propaganda. Yeah. And, um, he, um, and he also traveled to Prague and oh, to wow. uh, Mali and, you know, the non-aligned countries. So he was, uh, he was quite the character. I mean, I, I you know, it's, it's controversial here in, or, in Orange sure. County to talk about any communists, I think, with affection. So it's, uh, <laughs> but my, my uncle, I, I did really, I don't think, I think both my father and my uncle were, kind of and the younger uncle who was against the war were all kind of products of their time so he, you call him a pacifist right the younger uncle yeah, yeah. i mean he was more, again uh, yeah. he didn't care i think it was oh he was, didn't care oh, yeah, 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 it was, yeah it's like he thought war was wrong and he just thought why should i fight you know i don't believe in this so yeah. so i think all of you know having three brothers in a family who have such different political beliefs i mean i was really you know pretty amazed when i found out about the the uncles because I thought all of them would be the same, like like my father, very you know anti-communist, very sure. pro-capitalist. Yeah, actually, one of the uh, audience members was uh, was actually here in uh, in in I mean, uh, audience member who was at the showings like yesterday. He's a professor up north, and he actually came in the '60s and joined the anti-war movement. So there's actually a Vietnamese who were here in even in Orange County who were against the war and against the corruption. Uh, and they kind of saw it, saw a, a way out. You know, they wanted a peace candidate and that kind of stuff. Um, but, you know, because of the <laughs> later influx, the, their voices are not heard at all. Yeah, I think yeah, it's hard because the people who came in later really suffered a lot. And there's there's nothing you can do to tell these people to yeah. put that suffering behind. They have to have something to focus it on. I mean, I, I can't imagine... Having your entire family slaughtered, you know, like I, I, I don't know how I would react to that mm, and mm. how much hate I, I could feel. Mm. So I can't criticize anyone for not, you know, wanting to move on because I, I think, um, you know, we all ha- come from different perspectives. But I, I hope as an artist and a documentary filmmaker that you can have some sense of fairness and and feel, you know, um, um, like you're able to re- represent people objectively, and and I hope I was able to do that. And of course, I you know, growing up in a pro-capitalist, you know, pro-democracy household, I, I've got I've you know gotten into arguments with my yeah. uncle and his son about what happened in the war and how hypocritical I found you know the communist government to be mm. when you know you're fighting for the workers and these people but once they get into power then the mm-hmm. the heads of the the movement become wealthy mm-hmm. and uh the workers are still poor and mm-hmm. suffering and you know this there's not national um 
you know, people aren't taken care of. People have to pay for school. They have to yeah, pay for health care. I was surprised healthcare. at that. I thought that even in Cuba they had, uh, you know, universal education. Yeah, well, they do in Vietnam, too, but you have to pay fees for your books and clothes, mm-hmm. and yeah. a lot of kids can't afford books right, or pencils sure. or clothes, yeah. and that's why I'm part of this organization called Vietnam Relief Effort. Mm-hmm. Is Part of it is helping um, poor children who can't afford to go to school cause, mm-hmm. because, A, they have to work, or B, they don't right. can't afford the fees, so we try and cover, um, we've uh, rebuilt 60 schools so mm-hmm. far, uh, it's a 10-year anniversary today of the Vietnam relief effort, and um, we've helped kids, uh, you know, with medical things like cleft palates and um, mm. um, with, um, you know, operations of deformations from Agent Orange, and we've also um, uh, done uh, programs for just general mm. medical missions for people to get health, like basic health care for doctors to go to these rural regions, and um, the people who started it, uh, one is um, a, um, a senior managing director at Blackstone, and mm. uh, his sister is a reporter for, um, for um, is it Reuters? It was one of the, the mm. big... Um, News services. Yes, um, and um, Kathy, Kathy Chu and Chin Chu, and they um, went back to Vietnam and saw, you know, I guess these these children suffering, and I had a very similar reaction of you, sure. know, you see these little kids and who are you know five years old selling drinks and, and starving. Yeah. You drop some food and they just pick it up and scarf it, yeah. and it's pretty horrifying what you know poverty happens after a war, and that's that's something I think we were really out of touch with because of the embargo on Vietnam for right. so many years. Right. I mean, we were not. You know, we didn't know, we didn't see or know what was going on there. And, and what's odd about communism uh, in Vietnam is that, um, you know, Coca-Cola is there now. And, yeah. you know, just like uh, in uh, The Fog of War, was it where it's like, well, you know, you won anyway. You know, America's in Vietnam now. Why did we have to go and, you know, make a war to to uh, try and win these people over. All you needed to do is sell them blue jeans and Coca-Cola and you won. And now you look at, you know, um, uh, my, my nephew has these toys from McDonald's that say, you know, made in Vietnam in the back and clothes from Old Navy that says made in Vietnam. Yeah, yeah. And mm. so we've got this relationship anyway after all these years. So what yeah. the heck was that war for? Yeah, really, it was stupid. <laughs> I mean, so, man, yeah. the, this estimated figures that up to five million Vietnamese died, and you know, uh, fifty-four thousand American soldiers, and uh, that's a that's a lot of cost, yeah. you know. And uh, I I don't know. I wonder now what's going on in Iraq, and you yeah. know, and how removed I feel from it. Unless you know, you have to really dig to find out. Uh, yeah, I noticed in your film you end with, uh, 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 you know, us. Uh, legend about uh, Iraq also, about yes. Iraq war. The film was dedicated yeah. to um, uh, the people of Vietnam and Iraq and then all, you know, those people who have suffered from war. Yeah, it's ironic. These homelands the, are battlegrounds. Yeah, and it's ironic the person at, um, at Binghamton who died, she actually survived three car bombings or bombings in Iraq and then came to the safety of Binghamton <laughs> only to be killed by uh, supposedly a Vietnamese uh, gunman. Uh, and uh, there were mostly immigrants who were killed. Um, wow. There was another Vietnamese, and then some uh, a lot of Chinese, and uh, you know, American, white Americans, and uh, Haitians also. 
and a couple of Haitians. It was an immigration center, and yes, did they figure yeah. out what his beef was with the with the center? Um, some news accounts claim that he was made fun of at the center, but the teacher says no, he wasn't. His his teacher, who was actually absent that day, and a substitute was teaching, and she got killed. And the Vietnamese person who was killed, uh, her husband was holding her, actually, and the gunman came back and shot her dead. Uh, they were both injured, but um, she saw that, uh, he saw that she was still alive. So I don't know if, yeah, who knows. I think part of it has to, of course, has to be attributed to the availability of guns, you know. That if gun, he had two guns. And it's just too easy here to get guns. And if you're a disturbed individual, which obviously this man was not normal, and and um, in order, you know, for anyone to be able to do that, you you can't be like mentally healthy, and um, you know, so it's it's like for a mentally ill person to get guns, and yeah. an angry person or any a person even drunk or in any state, um, could um, could lead to tragedy which it has yes and it's um it's just this whole spate of mass murders uh multiple murders right now it just seems probably it could be the recession her his father apparently was laid off from ibm he was laid off from a vacuum um cleaning company uh, or installation company and uh so um oh that's yeah. horrible yeah, it's, it's a, there's a lot of people I know who are, feel like they're losing hope these days under the circumstances. And what I try and remind myself about was that, you know, at one point when my parents were my age, they yeah. had to suddenly leave their homes and they lost everything and they didn't know when or if they would ever come back or when or if they would ever see their parents again. And in my father's case, he never did. And to to yeah. lose everything that you've built for your whole life for your home and yeah. I, and that reminds me, like, um, you know, no matter what I'm going through or people around me are going through, we humans do survive. Yeah. We, we manage. And, and material things uh, could be, you know, could be gone the next day. The uh, Were you a rebel? In, you, know, you said your parents were strict, so did they get mad at you a lot when you or your brother were growing up? Yeah, um, I mean, I would say I probably, I'm the middle kid in the, the oh, family, oh, so yeah, yeah I would, was probably the most rebellious. But, um, um, Did you have <laughs> is it that obvious? Well, you had curfews. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, in the film, right, you said, were you at, uh, locked up and you couldn't go out after a certain time? Or, um, or yeah, I think they just that? didn't allow us to really. Oh, they you were had, dating, right? Were you yeah. dating some? or was your brother dating somebody who was not Vietnamese? And, yeah, I, I did. You and, did too. um, yeah. and, um, yeah, I mean, we didn't have a choice, really. I mean, there was only one other Vietnamese <laughs> family in town. And, you know, I mean, I wasn't ready for a love trend. And uh, <laughs> the one Vietnamese boy in the family that I could have dated. But he wasn't my type. Um, yeah. <laughs> so it was a very limited choice, uh, unlike here in, in uh, Orange County. Uh, so, yeah, they, they kind of expected that we would be kind of shut in. And then one day, all of a sudden, we would in college or something meet our our perfect husband who came in 1975 from a good family in vietnam who was a doctor or a lawyer and marry that person and magically i mean the statistical odds of that i'm i'm just curious about like if i had ever yeah. tried to figure out like you know some harvard grad who <laughs> i wonder how many there are there's probably about th you know a handful of them and i'm sure they're married <laughs> yeah uh -huh. To a really nice Vietnamese girl. <laughs> yeah, they probably, you know, probably the students hang out at the 
law school library there to meet the prospective husbands <laughs> or vice versa. <laughs> so in Boston, whatever. So um, Yeah, I went to Smith in Massachusetts, so I was yeah. not that far away, but right. but going to a women's college probably didn't help my chances either. <laughs> <laughs> Were you one of um, many Asians there, or what, what, what was that like? At Smith, uh, no. Um, they, it was had a very small Asian population, but um, I, I, w- I was so intent on getting out of Kentucky that <laughs> I did whatever I could, and um, I ended up just getting scholarships, as yeah. many scholarships as Expensive, I could. Expensive, right? That's good. Yeah, a private yeah. school. Yeah, yeah, and sure. um, I had fallen in love with Smith from a brochure when I was 14, and I'd uh. read statistics about women going to women's colleges doing better. And although I got into uh, Yale with scholarship, I didn't choose it because I thought there was some sort of advantage to going to. I remember in, in high school, we would play against Catholic schools, oh. uh, all-girls Catholic schools, and they would just beat the crap out of us you know for yeah. <laughs> playing mm-hmm. uh um playing field hockey or tennis they were so much better than us and i didn't understand why and i later came to the conclusion that it was due to funding and training like they had really yeah. good coaches and you know my field hockey coach was my overweight typing teacher who couldn't unbutton like the last four buttons of her extra uh, large sweater and she um she i mean she shape, was literally you know. like 260 pounds yeah, or yeah. Like 300 you know she was huge she couldn't run to save her life yeah. and um much less coach a field hockey team so with um with uh college i wanted i guess to i guess to focus on you know my education and um and kind of do something amazing in life. So my parents, one day I told them um, in summer after co- after high school, by the way, next month you have to take me to school up in Massachusetts. So I'd never even gone to Massachusetts in my life before, you yeah. know. So there I was, you know, making these decisions blind and um, went up to college up there and found it much different than I thought it would be. Yeah. <laughs> what happened to your other siblings? Um, they both stayed uh, in school in Kentucky, mm. and my older sister, Vung, ended up uh, going to uh, Golden West Community oh. College. And, um, oh, dear. Yes. Yeah. And uh, my brother and um, was at the University of Louisville, and my sister was at the University of Kentucky, so they stayed. Oh, yeah. But now my brother and, and older sister both live here, and my parents have moved out here to Huntington Beach. And, uh, oh, oh, so that's where you stay. Yeah. You're yeah. visiting when you're visiting. Do you... Um, did did your your brother and sister like the film or not? Um, my younger sister, who didn't appear in the film, um, she uh, I think she thinks very closely to me. We both live in New York together, and um, my uh, I think my brother thought it was going to be horribly embarrassing. And he when he saw it in Los Angeles, he actually said it wasn't as bad as he thought it would be. <laughs> <laughs> so I think it's you know and. He's a, he's quite a funny character in the film because he's the opposite of my father. Despite being my father's son, he's you know all about playing golf and sports. And oh yeah, he's the one playing golf in the movie, right? Yes, yeah. yes. I just spoke to him right before we got here, and you know he's um, kind of a, a you know a playboy and uh, <laughs> not very political at all. So uh, yeah. And it, when I interviewed him, what, what was funny is that every single detail he mentioned was about sports about the war so i said so what was happening when we uh when we <laughs> airlifted off the you know the the dao building and he said well it uh i had a tennis racket in my hand and the building blew up and <laughs> he had a tennis racket oh my gosh that's really something <laughs> i guess uh, an american soldier handed it to him as he was getting on the helicopter 
Oh. Someone like threw it behind, and for some reason they gave it to him. They knew he liked. I mean, he was a little yeah. boy, so I guess they just gave it to oh, him. I see. You know, yeah. and he kept it in the refugee camp, and that's the one thing he carried from Vietnam was someone else's <laughs> tennis racket. <laughs> and that's his memories funny. of the refugee camp are all about playing soccer and going to the gym. <laughs> 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 that's great <laughs> it's almost like that apocalypse now is, is it apocalypse now what movie with was the surfing that? yeah with the surfing yeah <laughs> I but guess that, like no. you you do what you can to survive <laughs> yeah yeah you, you hang on yeah so you said the New York Stock Exchange is doing a moment of um, uh, ring the bells today yes with the, 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 the Vietnam yeah. relief effort yeah. the board members that they're um, um, to ring the, the closing bell at 4 o'clock uh, this uh this afternoon, I guess that's seven o'clock um, in East Coast time, West Coast time. And uh, wow! And um, how many people? How many people are involved in that relief uh, organization? Um, there are a lot of donors, but um, the um, the board members, I would say, there's about ten of them or hmm. eight of them, something like that. Um, and they're um, mostly Vietnamese Americans mm-hmm. who've done very well and wanted hmm. to give back oh, to Vietnam. And uh, there's a, I think there's two Americans in the, in the group, and uh, a Somalian woman, and uh, and an Italian woman. So it's a mix of um, of different people, and lots of volunteers. Yeah. It's run, uh, so they they go back and they build, they actually physically build these schools, you know, yeah, so people yeah. get involved. And um, on the Vietnam Relief Effort uh, dot org, you can read all about it. Oh, that's great. And your film site is uh, osaigon dot com. Yes, that's yes. right. And um, there you can find out about the film and uh, the uh, DVDs and uh, screenings, though. I wish I knew Flash so I could update it myself because then yeah. I get very lazy about yeah. having to tell someone else about what I know. to change. It's always hard to delegate. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, you're showing the film again this week at Chapman University. What, uh, that's on Thursday? Yes, it's Chapman University Law School, um, and uh, that's on Thursday um, at 5.30, and oh, I'm going to tell you a funny orange, detail about yeah. that. In Orange, California, they said that the reason they were doing um, uh, 5.30 was uh, so the Vietnamese who are, are notoriously late can have time to get there. <laughs> it's probably <laughs> hard to find, too. But uh, <laughs> actually, the, the, the author of the uh, Patriot Act uh, is teaching there right now. Oh, really? So, <laughs> John Yu. Wow. <laughs> so maybe he should see it. <laughs> yeah, that would that would be interesting. <laughs> yeah. And you said the Hanoi TV is uh, probably going to show your film in Vietnam. Huh? Well, we're not I'm not sure about that. It's mm. uh HTV um 4 in uh, in Vietnam and I, I think there perhaps too many controversial things that are, you know, said by my father that are anti-communist that might than hinder it being shown in Vietnam, but um, you're willing to, to take out some lines. I would be, but you know, the, I think the basic, all the basic stuff of the film of what happened to at least the, the South Vietnamese after the war, I don't know if they're quite ready for in Vietnam politically. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That um, so I hope one of these days. But uh, you know, I, I've talked to a managing director there, and we've talked about showing it but um you know we still have to sort that out and i think it'd be an important thing it's shown at a at a movie theater the hanoi, hanoi cinema tech yeah yeah. yeah and that's run by an american uh and uh he's been trying to get a lot of vietnamese filmmakers to go see foreign films but he doesn't seem to have too much success 
He just uh, gets a lot of expatriates. Um, yeah. yeah, and there's some, you know, I mean, I tried to get a former student of mine. I was actually in in Hanoi for a while and, and guest lectured at some classes uh, to join. Um, and, you know, and he likes foreign films, so he might be joining. I'm not sure. <laughs> but, yeah, it's really hard to... They do simultaneous translations sometimes. I've been in there when they do Vietnamese oh, wow. translations. It's like the old, you know, 50s uh, 30s movies, maybe. So you, you've been, stand, been back to Vietnam? A lot, yeah. A dozen times, actually. Wow. And uh, I'm going back next week, actually. Oh, excellent. So, <laughs> so anyway, yeah, I had a Fulbright there, and so oh, I was wow. working there for... But is that uh, why you speak Vietnamese? Well, I studied Vietnamese. I don't. I can read better than I can speak, I have to say. Uh-huh. <laughs> and when, when did you go for your Fulbright? 2004. Oh, wow. Yeah, excellent. so actually, one time I actually stayed at a hotel, right, the artist hotel, right, in the complex of the Hanoi Cinematheque. Oh, wow. Which you can get for a room for 15 bucks or something, <laughs> something like that. <laughs> it's quite cheap. It's amazing to see how expensive Hanoi is compared to Saigon. I, that was something I was really shocked yeah. about. Yeah. Yeah. There's BMWs and, oh, yeah. you know, and the, the, the iPods. For, <laughs> for business, the uh, rent is just outrageous. Uh, we have another guest, actually. Uh, so, uh, John um, Bruning is here from the Radical Student Union. Uh, is it John? Yes. Uh, come right in. Uh, and, yeah. And, um, yeah, thank you, uh, Duan. And we can finish up in the end. Yeah. And uh, John, yeah, you're part of a group called Radical Student Union. Is that a new group? Right. It's been around for about three or four months now, UCI. Uh, it's been around three or four months? Yeah. Right. And... Uh, uh, and uh, the uh, what what are your activities right now? I know you've been starting a campaign on uh, sweatshop uh, apparel. Uh, some of the UCI logo materials are made by a company that uh, you've discovered is uh, actually a sweatshop uh, operation. And also, I, I believe you are protesting the Vicente Fox uh, talk uh, right. coming up right. this week. Right. So with uh, the sweatshop campaign... Um, so I think most uh, college apparel around the country is made predominantly in sweatshops. At the very least, it's made under exploitative uh, labor practices. But it's come to the students' attention around the country that um, there's a factory in Honduras run by Russell Athletic um, where workers there began forming an independent union. Hmm. Um, and Russell responded by first by in, uh, harassing and intimidating the union organizers and other workers, and then by... Uh, blacklisting the union organizers and closing down the factory uh, to prevent the union from being formed. Um, so since November, uh, students around the country have been organizing on their own campuses um, because what Russell did was a violation of the university's codes of conduct governing uh, how apparel is produced for those universities. So since November, about 25 schools um, have cut that contract with Russell, um, and we're hoping to do the same uh, here uh, in the UC system. So is, have you met with any of the administrators on that? Um, Chancellor Drake is very difficult to meet with. Um, we tried setting up a meeting with him back in February, um, and we still haven't ha- gotten a meeting with him or even a meeting time. How about other, vi- uh, like Vice Chancellor um, Manuel Gomez? I mean, how uh, is he receptive? Um, we haven't been able to meet with him yet. <laughs> the um, And then on this Fox thing, you don't want him here, right? I mean, how come? Um, um well, since he's Fox, a former pre- uh, president of Mexico, 
Right. Well, since Fox came to power in 2000 in Mexico, um, he's been responsible either directly or indirectly for a fair amount of uh, repression of social movements in Mexico and violations of human rights. So it began um, in 2000 in like, Chiapas. So um, in 1994, there was an uprising of peasants in Chiapas, Mexico. Um, so Fox in- inherited that um, that rebellion, and he, he promised to try to bring a peaceful solution. Instead, he ended up violating uh, San Andreas Peace Accords, which the Zapatista army uh, signed on to. And he ended up um, passing a law through the Mexican Congress um, for indigenous people, but it was very uh, racist and classist and mm-hmm. ended up being very counterproductive for the indigenous people. Um, so throughout uh, his presidency, in Chiapas especially, there is an increase in paramilitarism and state violence against peasants there. Uh, and then in 2006, in his last year of the presidency, uh, there, were, uh, there was a situation in Atenco, Mexico, right outside Mexico City, where uh, flower vendors were attacked by police mm. for operating without a permit. So police were sent in and went door-to-door dragging people out of their houses. A large number of women were arrested and then raped by police there. Mm. Uh, and there was, there's never been an investigation into those rapes and other violence, and there's still people in jail uh, in Atenco as a result of that. Then later in 2006, uh, teachers in Oaxaca, Mexico, went on strike demanding... Uh, better resources, better pay for the schools in Mexico, which are, in Oaxaca especially, they're probably the poorest schools yeah. in Mexico. Some of the rural schools don't have bathrooms. Their children don't go mm. to school with shoes or have proper books or uniforms. So they went on strike, and after a month of being on strike, they were attacked by police there, by a state police. Um, so Fox, Fox's government was very hands-off for a number of months, and allowed repression against teachers, students, and other people in in Oaxaca to continue. But in uh, October 2006, uh, American video uh, independent journalist with the media, Brad Will, uh, was murdered uh, videotaping an attack on a barricade outside of the city of Oaxaca. He filmed his own death. Right, right. And it's very clear, uh, like the four individuals that were involved in his death, and they're... They're agents or officials with uh, the Institutional Revolutionary Party in Mexico, which has like the stronghold in power of po- on power in the South, and a number of other independent um, human rights organizations have also confirmed the identities of the people responsible for his death as well. But instead of jailing these, these individuals who killed him, or even launching an independent and honest investigation into the death, Fox sent in federal police and military into Oaxaca to further repress the movement and put down the students and teachers who were rebelling. Even though, um, he, you know, he came to power after after decades of PRI, uh, you know, presidency uh, in Mexico, so he's being honored here at UCI by the Center for Study of Democracy as, um, you know, uh, proponent of democracy. Mm-hmm. What, what do you think of that? Uh, well, I, the most notable democratic act that he participated in was um, his his victory over the PRI in 2000. So that was even before his candidacy, or before his presidency, and then it was followed by six years of repression and human rights abuses. But even his victory in 2000 is seen by a number of academics as not being like, you know, everything is being made out to be. Uh, power is virtually handed off by the PRI to Fox's party um, as a way to maintain um, 
like the political elites or the political power in the country with basically the the richest like one percent of the country. And a lot of people in Oaxaca and other parts of Mexico have begun calling uh, this alliance between the PRI and the PAN that's formed as the PRIAN. So it's almost a merger of power between the PRI and the PAN. So despite the defeat of the PRI, they've still basically remained in power. He was, of course, a supporter of globalization. He was an executive of Coca-Cola. Right. Um, does, uh, do you see any difference in the two parties' position on globalization? Um, I'm sure there's a few kind of like minute differences, but I think ultimately they're they're basically identical. So you, you know, you I, you guys have actually called for the university to withdraw its invitation, right? Of course, they're not going to do that. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> we're hopeful, but we're not too optimistic. We <laughs> hopeful. So he's coming, and in the past, of course, we've invited a lot of people that are on the right to. Um, to be Chancellor's uh, Distinguished Fellows speakers. Uh, John Yoon came, the author of the Patriot Act. Uh, Viet Dinh came, the uh, author, he was the author of the Torture Memo, sorry, uh, John Yoon. And then uh, Viet Dinh was the author of the Patriot Act. He also spoke. Mm-hmm. Uh, lots of uh, people came and students actually protested these speakers. What do you plan to do on the 8th on, uh, when um, Vicente Fox is speaking? Well, as far as uh, Radical Student Union, my group is concerned, um, we're organizing a teach-in um, from 5 to 7 p.m. On, on Wednesday in Parkview Classroom Building 1300. Where is Parkview uh, Building? It's on the... Never heard of it. <laughs> <laughs> it's um, actually a good question. It's sort of on the south side of campus along Ring Road. Oh, it's on the map. It's on right. the campus map, right, yeah, right, which is on the UCI homepage, yeah. Yeah, you can link yeah. to it. Yeah, you get a link to it. Yeah, and the, the teaching is featuring Simone Cedillo, who's a fairly well-known um, uh, documentary film producer and community activist uh, based out of Austin, Texas. Um, mm-hmm. He actually spent between six and eight years in Oaxaca um, teaching people how to use video equipment and sort of oh, film wow. their, own, their, daily, their daily lives, um, and has done other community organizing. Uh, when I, a couple of times when I've been in Oaxaca and other parts of Mexico, uh, the first thing people ask me is, oh, do you know Simon Cedillo? <laughs> so he's pretty well known there. Um, we had him on campus back in November of last year, and he drew about 50 people. So, What did he, what film did he make uh, that have you shown here? Um, we actually haven't shown any of his films. He's just uh, spoken. But I think his best-known film is called El Enemigo Común, or The Common Enemy. Mm. Uh, his website for the film, elenemigocomun.net, uh, was one of like the central hubs uh, for for spreading information about what was going on in Oaxaca over the past three years. Oh, good. Yeah. So he's speaking on. Uh, is it Thursday? Uh, on Wednesday. Wednesday. Wednesday the eighth uh, at five o'clock. Right. At Parkview uh, Classroom Building. <laughs> Parkview. What was the building? Parkview Classroom Building. Classroom Building. Okay. <laughs> uh, at five o'clock, and I think uh, the the former president is speaking at seven or eight. Um, he has a sort of dinner talk at 8 o'clock, but there's a reception that begins at 6 o'clock in the University Club building. And then the talk is at University Club? or at Right, it's also at University Club. Ah, okay. And it's a private talk for donors and for uh, f- grad students and faculty with the Center for the Study of Democracy. When's his public talk? At 4 p.m. in the Barclay Theater. So you're not doing anything there? No, we're not. <laughs> are the other groups doing anything there? Do you know? Um, not that I know of. I think some individuals may be protesting then. 
but leafleting or something. Right. There's yeah. nothing formal. But uh-huh. the formal protests, I think, uh, will probably be around seven or seven thirty, following uh, the teaching that's being organized. I see. Yeah. So and so you, uh, why form a new group? There's been other groups on campus. There were Student Worker Alliance, uh, some other groups. Uh, what was the genesis of uh, Radical Student Student Union? Um, I think we selected the, the majority of the the founding members of RSU actually came from Worker Student Alliance, oh. and most of us are still active with that group. Um, the WSA is is involved with anti-war and labor issues, but outside of WSA, there isn't really any radical organizing going on in uh, terms of like other issues like human rights, environment, animal rights. So RSU formed as a Mm. as an attempt to sort of fill that vacuum on campus and try to start promoting uh, more radical discourse, uh, more like kind of leftist discourse on campus. Oh, that's good. Yeah, you know, some other campuses have this disorientation manual. Right. Yeah, and we don't have one. I always thought we should have one uh, to, you know, show a different point of view Mm -hmm. uh, to the official orientation that uh, (laughs) freshmen or whatever get 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 put through. Um, Because there's so much stuff um, that we don't know really, and right. that it would be good to uh, discuss and expose. Mm-hmm. Um, is there? Uh, are you planning a publication? Or? Um, we'd like to. Uh, actually, did my uh, undergraduate studies at University of Wisconsin, and we had a disorientation guide. Oh wow! Which yeah. is yeah. Uh, which is really helpful for people coming in. Yes, that had information about like radical spaces in the community, and also yeah. things like. Vegetarian restaurants. Or, yeah, even where, like, military and weapons research sure, is being yeah. conducted on campus. Yeah, so yeah. things like that, just to sort of map out, like, the entire campus environment. Is the IOTC activated here now? Because I saw some uh, people in uniforms the other day with flags and stuff. I think they're an informal group. Like, from what I understand, was they're trying to gain recognition by the university and mm-hmm. sort of establish themselves as, like, a recognized part of the university. But I'm not quite sure what their, um, what their formal connection is yet. Yeah, there were just a handful of people mm-hmm. dressed up. Um, so, uh, and you're a graduate student? Correct. Uh, what field? Sociology. Oh, yeah. That makes <laughs> sense. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, thank you very much. Yeah. yeah. Um, I actually d- am doing a bibliography on Fox. I get, okay. uh, I get to do bibliographies for all these speakers mm-hmm. uh, sometimes. And so I volunteered to do that one. So that should be up on the <laughs> Chancellor's Distinguished Fellow website um, by the 8th, I guess. Okay. And I can cite, help you out with that, too. <laughs> yeah. No, it's done, actually. Uh, I had to finish. The deadline was last okay. week. So we've done, uh, we've actually put in a lot of uh, alternative sources in there. Okay. So cool. I hope you like it. <laughs> but I, I'm also, yeah, I'm happy to learn more things of us. Uh, so today we've been actually talking to another uh, a documentary filmmaker, uh, Duan Huang, who uh, is uh, has done this incredible film of a journey uh, of her family going back to Vietnam and uh, finding out that her uncle, her father, whom who had not met for 59 years, uh, gone back to Vietnam to see that her uncle was actually a communist and fighting for the North during the Vietnam War. And so um, that film is going to be shown at Chapman University Law School on Thursday at uh, 5.30 p.m. And so uh, thank you, Duan, for coming in. And uh, Thank you uh, very much for having me. Thank you, and good luck on your documentary film career.
Thanks. And thank you, John uh, Buning, for coming in thank and you. talking about protest activities on campus. Mm-hmm. This is Dan Zhang signing off for Subversity here on KUCI. The audio of the show can be seen, uh, can be found on the website, uh, KUCI.org slash subversity, and also on um, Apple iShop even <laughs> for free. <laughs> I'm not selling it there. And uh, so uh, the podcast. And so uh, stay tuned. Um, this is Dan Zhang signing off for Subversity.